Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Open the pot bay doors now. I'm sorry, Jan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most you ever lost in the contest? Go ahead. Make my day. Hello and welcome to another episode of Black Hole Cinema, episode 8, I believe as we cruise into the month of April, and this week there are three reviews. We're not having a guest on this week, there's just going to be three solid reviews of some new movies that have come out, two that have just come out this weekend, and one that came out a couple of weeks ago, which I didn't get a chance to see until a little bit afterwards. But I thought I'd, just, I thought I'd start this week with a new little feature that I'm going to try and do, in which I tell you what I thought of the various assorted movies that I've watched over the previous week since the last podcast, because because I'm you know on a proper film watching crusade so far this year. So far since January, I've watched 129 films at current count. Some of which have been rewatches, but the majority have been fresh new films that I've watched. And I don't remember ever having a year where I've watched that many films in such a um, short space of time so fast. So I'm, I'm really on a, on a proper crusade with it. I broke it down, actually. It turns out I watched 29 films in January, 43 in February, and 46 in March. So April's already been quite a stocked month. So apart from the films that I've seen in the cinema that I'm going to talk about on this podcast, I'm just going to briefly run through you the ones that I've seen over the last week, pretty much since the beginning of the month. Uh, and talk to you a little bit about those and what I thought of them in very, very quick terms. On the last day of the year, I saw uh, three films. Uh, I Am Number Four, Identity Thief and The Awakening. I Am Number Four and Identity Thief were both awful, awful films. Uh, Identity Thief especially, that a few weeks ago, if you've been listening, that Chris Wilson, when he came on, talked about how Identity Thief was the film that actually made him want to give up writing <laughs> it was that bad and I can see why um I, I I struggled to get through it it's absolutely base awful 
uh, comedy, considering it was actually by the guy who did Horrible Bosses as well. I don't quite know how it ended up that bad, but it was terrible. I Am Number 4 was just boring tripe adapted from a book that's probably a lot better. The Awakening wasn't actually too bad. Ghost Story uh, with Rebecca Hall. It had, it had its flaws. Decent little cast. A few good scares, but it was just a bit too earnest. Um, but it, it had all its heart, its heart in the right place. On April 1st, I only watched one film. I watched uh, Burn After Reading, although as I think of it in my head, and as Mark Kermode would say on his podcast, Burn After Reading. I, have, I, I always, in my head, say Burn After Reading. Coen Brothers comedy, one of their more wacky kind of zany, in inverted commas, films, which I liked parts of it because it was a great cast. Brad Pitt was extremely funny in it, um, but I, I didn't fully take to it, and it was it was a really scattershot kind of kind of thing. I prefer the Coens when they're being more serious, to be honest, in general. Day after that, I uh, I watched uh, with my girlfriend who brought it round. Not another teen movie, which she'd been raving about for the past week. And I said, "Well, bring bring it bring it over. You know, let's have a watch." Um, and she did, and it was it was actually quite good. It was it was better than I expected it to be. You know, I expected these these spoofs to be uniformly awful. You no, know, after a certain period, and it, while it's no airplane or naked gun, it has that same kind of sensibility and the same kind of thing it's going for. And it was it was funny. It raised the chortle, especially the uh, the uh, the running gag of the the token black guy. That was that was very good. And it has a pre-fame Chris Evans as the lead as well. And the, he crops up again this week. On the third, I watched three films: Groundhog Day, uh, which I hadn't seen in absolutely ages, and I remembered how wonderful a film that is. Groundhog Day, it's such, such a great movie, and you know one of Bill Murray's best performances. And you you know it's still iconic. It's still got a place in pop culture i don't think it's perfect i think i think it i think it drags at certain points and i i don't really buy the the romance between bill murray and andy mcdowell but i i think it's a really 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 good film i then got about 25 minutes into gi joe the rise of cobra before i nearly wanted to gouge my own eyeballs out so i had to give up on that one because it was just crash bang wallop what a video noise just oh Awful, awful Hollywood rubbish. And considering Stephen Summers made it, who did The Mummy and two, two really good Mummy films, it's a shame because he's better than that. I then watched Severance, which was a re- re- really quite good horror uh, comedy, even though it's, it's kind of neither in, in, a, in a way. It's, it's more satirical. Um, even Danny Dyer was good in it, which, which mean, you know, means it's, it's surprising. But yeah, yeah, I've heard about Severance for a long time. A friend of mine... Um, my friend Adam had long told me about Severance and about how, how much fun it was. And I, I did enjoy it. It was gory in, in, a, in a comical way, had plenty of laughs um, and had a nice vein of satire as well. So Severance was good. After that, uh, I watched, uh, I rewatched Star Trek V The Final Frontier, which, you know, I'll, one day I think I'll talk at length more about how much I love Star Trek and how, how big an impact it's had on me over the years. But Star Trek V, without doubt, is the worst film of the... 11 films no 12 films so far it's not terrible it's got some kind of charm about it it's got a really nice score by Jerry Goldsmith it's got its heart in the right place it's got a great performance by Lawrence Luckinville as Cyborg but it's just naff <laughs> and it's William Shatner being given far too much rope but it's it, it's it's a start at the end of the day it's Kirk and Spock and McCoy singing row 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 your boat so it's impossible to hate but it's it's not the best Star Trek film at all and then uh, yesterday, I watched three films as, as, as well as the double. I watched Cellular, which is quite a, a cheesy, cheesy thriller with Chris Evans again 
a really overwrought Kim Basinger and Jason Jason Statham before he got really you know famous and started kicking people's heads in. It's a very functional, basic thriller hanging on the idea of a mobile phone, which it, it's okay. It's very, very diverting rubbish, really. But it, it, it's okay. It's not it, fun in places. I then watched Django Unchained, which I, I've been waiting to see for absolutely ages, given that I, I'm quite a fan of Tarantino and, and I've just not got around to seeing Django Unchained. And I was very, very impressed by it. Very impressed. I thought it was one of his better films. It's, it's I, in his in his top four, I would say. It's, it's a little bit more mature, even though it's got still the Tarantino-esque, you know, daftness and silliness and cool soundtracks and uber-violence, but it has a little bit more to that. And Christoph Waltz and Jamie Foxx are fantastic uh, in that movie. And it's gorgeous, absolutely beautifully shot. It's made for HD, that that film. Absolutely gorgeous cinematography. So I I think he's back, Tarantino backfiring on more cylinders than he has in a few years. So hopefully he'll keep that up. And then finally, another recommendation from my girlfriend, which she brought around, was a film called Warm Bodies, which is a film I hadn't actually heard of, uh, about a zombie love story in a, in a zombie apocalypse. And even though you, you'd think that everything's been done with zombies in any kind of storytelling, Warm's up, Warm Bodies actually does something quite different with it. It's a bit of a Romeo and Juliet kind of tale, with Nicholas Holt as, as a zombie, John Malkovich crops up, you know, Rob Corddry, who's a, a very funny actor. And it's, it was quite nice. It was quite a sweet... Rom, rom-com in a way um, with some horrible uber violence and some really neat ideas so that's one that is a little bit on the download but it's worth watching it's worth worth checking out because it was quite good so and that's that's where I'm at right now there'll be there'll be more watching this week those are those in brief some of them are good some of them you might want to check out if uh, I, I randomly watch these off my Sky Plus box and things like that that I randomly tape so you may not find them everywhere they may not all be on Netflix and things but if you've got them on DVD or you've, you know someone who's got some of these check out the ones I recommend there because they, they're worth your time but avoid the ones for goodness sake that aren't okay let's crack on with some reviewage then shall we okay I'm going to start off with one that took me a little bit by surprise it's a long way down. I'm Martin Sharp, the man who had everything. Divorce, disgrace, humiliation. Why wouldn't I want to throw myself off a tall building? Excuse me. Are you going to be long? What? Maybe I should just wait. I'll give you a shout on the way down. Out of my way! Stop, sir! Hi. Can you guys order a pizza? Four people. Up on one roof. That's tactically a convention. We're in a gang. We're not in a gang. We signed a pact. Here's the deal. Promise. Nobody kills themselves until Valentine's Day. It's not such a ridiculous idea. Pretty sure we're all going to live to regret this. A Long Way Down suffers from a big problem that you get with a lot of films these days, in that the trailer is so bad that it, it will put people off the film. That, that does happen quite a bit with some of these, some of these films. Quite often, you know, trailers are fairly they're fairly accurate of what you're going to get, you know, it, it, and they convey whether it's going to be pretty shit or it's going to be pretty good or it's not going to be too bad. But sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they get it really wrong. The last one, which I thought looked rubbish, was a long way down because it, it really seemed to be this quite twee, smug, romantic comedy with a little bit of a dark subtext to it. That was what I got from the trailer, and I thought there's no way in KNL's chance I'm, I'm going to see that film. No chance. And I remember then, Kyle West of, of Compass.net, if, if you happen to know our hosts, 
thecompassnet.com. I always get that wrong. He, who hosts his own podcast, he tweeted me and told me to go and see Long Way Down because he said it's actually surprisingly good. And I, I got back to him and I said, yeah, it, the trailer looks crap. It, it, I, I'm not, it's down, very low down on the list after Captain America and all these other things. And he said, oh, fair enough. But he said, it's better than you think. And then my my current girlfriend basically said to me, let's get the pictures. I'd like to see a long way down. And I was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'll give it a shot. So we went to see it. And even even without her there, and she was, you know, she was enjoying it quite, quite a fair bit. And, but even without her there, I think I would have actually enjoyed a long way down either way because it is surprisingly good for what it is. And it could stem from the fact that it's, you know, it's, it's from Nick Hornby for a start. Now, Nick, Nick Hornby does have, you know, quite a good pedigree with, with, with novels, certainly, and that, that have become films. High Fidelity is, is a Nick Hornby, and that's, that's a, a film that's gone down very well over the years with people. Uh, and he's done other, there's been other things like Fever Pitch and About a Boy as well. And that, I love About a Boy. I think that's a great film. I think that's a really, really good film. And I didn't actually realise it was Nick Hornby at the time. And then uh, when, I, when that came on the screen, I was like, oh, okay, it's Nick Hornby. So th- this, this might have a little bit of something else because he's, you know, he's, he likes writing about misfits and he does like his jet black humour underneath and, and quite, quite annoying or, or, or people or people who don't deserve much sympathy. And there are, there are a few of them in this, but he manages to quite often to pick out the goodness within them and, and, the, and the, you know, the, the humour within them and bring that out. And that is what happens in a long way down. Ostensibly, the the idea is quite is quite interesting as well. It's it's four people who decide on New Year's Eve to go up to a rooftop of a, of a of a massive building and throw themselves off it and kill themselves. And they all are quite inconvenienced by each other <laughs> going up there and doing it. And they all get chatting. Turns out they all get on fairly well and they make a pact. Okay, we're not going to kill ourselves until Valentine's Day, when they end up going to hospital for one one of the characters who um is is a bit you know, in trouble. And then, and then they're like, it's packed. Okay, we're not going to kill ourselves till Valentine's Day. That gives us six weeks. And until then, we're just going to hang out and enjoy life. And obviously, you know, it doesn't take a, a genius to figure out that in those six weeks, they, they to, together, they have this kind of catharsis and they, they begin to realise what life can offer them because they've all got very different paths that have led them to there. You know, Pierce Brosnan plays a disgraced TV chat show host like an, an Eamon Holmes type who was disgraced because he slept with an under, underage girl without realising she was underage Tony Collette is, is the mother of, of a, a guy who's got severe special needs uh, of, a, of a son and she's very you know boxed in and, and hasn't really lived much and everything like that you've got Aaron Paul who plays uh, a pizza delivery guy who's quite enigmatically trying to kill himself and uh, he, he apparently has cancer and then uh, terminal cancer and then you've got Imogen Poots who's, who's the, the rich girl of a, of a politician who's basically been dumped by a guy and she just wants to end it. So really the, 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 only, the two, only two people in there who, who should engender any sympathy are Aaron Paul and Tony Collette but it doesn't quite work that way in the end. It's, you're surprised by some of these things. It's interesting uh, listening to Mark Kermode's view on A Long Way Down in that he makes a point that he thinks he believes Pierce Brosnan is getting better with age in terms of acting and I, and I, I actually kind of agree with him I really do it's ironic ever since he, he stopped being Bond he seems to have actually made some really quite shrewd career choices some surprisingly good ones even when he's not been in things that have been that good he's actually turned out to be fairly decent 
And he's quite good in this as well. He seems to have understood that he's actually got a quite a gift for comedy. And he, he's increasingly, he's playing these kind of almost embarrassing, you know, dad types <laughs> now. I mean, he, you know, he is he's probably at least 60 now, Pierce Brosnan. So he's hes not a young man anymore. And he, and he, he can get away with playing this kind of character. And, he, you know, considering he's technically, on a technical level, playing a paedophile in this, he's actually, actually very, you know, charming, which is, which is strange. But he's very good, and he, 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 he kind of leads the piece in a way, although it's, it's very much an ensemble. It's about the, all four of these guys. Aaron Paul is, is, a, is a difficult one, because he, he's, this is a far better career choice than Need for Speed, by far, because it's a better script. But unfortunately, his character is really the weak link, because he, you can't really get a handle on him. And it, in, in fairness to the story, it is actually quite, quite kind of the point, really, that we don't quite know why he's trying to kill himself. And it, that does actually factor into the story later on. It's a little bit murky, his role, but the problem is he doesn't know how to make it not murky. And he, he, he plays the character with a little bit too much... Not enigma, he's not mysterious as such, but he's a bit too lugubrious. He's a bit too, you know, dull, <laughs> I suppose is the best word for it. And he doesn't really have the same kind of, you know, warmth or, or comic timing as the other actors do. So, you know, he's still looking really for the role in the movies that he's going to you know, make people stand up and notice. But he, he, luckily, he's surrounded by probably better actors, realistically. Tony Collette has them by far the most sympathetic uh, character, and she, she's very good. I mean, she does, she does an amazing British accent now. I mean, she, she can flip between American and Australian, which is her native tongue, and British, like, you know, you wouldn't notice. And she, hers is a very downtrodden woman who has lost the zest for life. And, and it's, 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 it's a character you really do feel for and, and her, hers is the more serious plot line towards the end but she plays it very well she's very good at being quite downtrodden and, and sweet with it as well but the real surprise the real surprise is Imogen Poots because I don't remember liking her in a film before uh, I mean she's absolutely god awful and annoying in Need for Speed where she alongside Aaron Paul as well funnily enough only a month ago and, you know, I thought she was gonna, it was going to take a long time for her to win back any cred after being in that pile of dirge. But she, she's the best thing about A Long Way Down. And it, it's a shocker, actually. It really is. Plus the fact her character should be... You should hate her because she's just a, basically a, a spoiled little rich girl in many ways. But, damn it, she's funny. She is. She gets, she gets most of the best lines. Imogen Poots is delightfully charming throughout the whole thing as a gift for comic timing, works really well with all the other characters. And I was sitting there thinking, how am I liking Imogen Poots more than anyone else in this film? How? How is that possible? But it proves that with a better script, and it is quite a decent script uh, by Hornby and Jack Thorne, who'd, who'd written The Fades, I believe, on television, and he's, he's quite a good uh, British writer. It is a, quite a good script. And she makes the most of it, to be fair. And, and it is a film that hinges on performances. You know, the plot doesn't really go much of anywhere. You know, the plot's very basic really and it, it doesn't it, it's fairly inevitable where it all ends up and it, it's it's not not much happens to tell you the truth but it's not really the point you're, you're enjoying the characters more than anything else and, and what happens you know there's a, there's a couple of other good appearances you know Sam Neill is quite amiably um doddering as Imogen Poots' dad he's like a, a politician everyone's taking the piss out of and it's surprising really because you're used to Sam Neill playing baddies or you know, quite um, enigmatic, you know, villains or, or, or grumpy heroes. And here he's playing quite a nice, doddery old politician. 
which is an unusual British politician, which is unusual um, for him. And then you've got Rosamund Pike, who's only in one scene, but she's she's very good. She plays this awfully fake, bitchy chat show host who interviews them, and she she's great. And even even though she's in one scene, she kind of she kind of does steal that scene for 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 a bit. So it's you know it's got some it's got some good things. It's it's surprisingly funny as well. You know it, it's and it's not the traditional romantic comedy that you'd imagine. The trailer sells. You know it really isn't. Uh, and there were certain things that I expected in there specifically with two of the characters, that never happened. And I was happy about that. I, I really was. I was thinking, well, that's good, because I totally thought that was what was, it was going to end up as. And it, it, it's not. The script is a little bit more shrewd than that. And it actually, and it does have some very nice comic moments throughout this, and some good lines, some, some very good lines. You know, it's nothing, it's nothing that, that will reinvent anything. It's not an amazing piece of work. It's not an amazing drama. It's not an amazing comedy. It's... Fairly middling in both, and it doesn't always know quite what tone it wants to set. It doesn't quite know whether it wants to be completely funny or it wants to be really sort of dark and about suicide and and all this. But it's better than it's been sold as, and it's something that you might get quite a few people skip over because they think it's going to be one thing when it turns out to be another. So my advice would be give this one a chance. Uh, you may have missed it now in the cinemas, but when it comes out on DVD or it's on Sky or whatever, give it a chance because... It's all right. Let me guess. You're all lovers. Yes. We are, man. Four people find hope. We belong together. We're a team. You're quite cute, but you're infinitely forgettable. Yeah. I just wanted to say thank you for caring. We're here. Of course we're here. Kind of cool, huh? <laughs> it's not much, son, but we're start. Okay, welcome back, everybody. And from a surprisingly decent film to an unsurprisingly, predictably boring one. This is Divergent. The only way our society can survive is for each of you to claim your rightful place. Today, you will take a test that will help you discover who you truly are. The future belongs to those who know where they belong. You ready? So, Divergent. Now, I'd seen trailers for this film and I'd heard bits and bobs about it and I'd seen some very, very mixed reviews about Divergent over the last few weeks, because I think it's been out in the States for a few weeks before us, and I'd seen on Letterboxd in certain places that people were, some people were giving it like four out of five, some people were giving it two out of five, and things like that, so it's clearly dividing people on the spectrum. And I can tell you now, I firmly sit in the two out of five camp, because Divergent is one of those films that is, it's not, bad enough to be angry about. It's not good enough to be excited about. It just kind of exists in this very bland, identical world where, well, it's basically The Hunger Games. You know, it, it, it is. It's, it's effectively The Hunger Games. It was written after The Hunger Games by a, a writer called Veronica Roth who has done a series of, uh, I believe, a trilogy which is Divergent, Insurgent, and Allegiant, I think, is the trilogy. 
having uh, done a bit of information digging afterwards, uh, all of which apparently are now going to become films, depressingly. And they were written after The Hunger Games, and you can't help but think that, I'm, I haven't read the books, but you can't help but think, based on this film, that they took a very, very big cue from Suzanne Collins' Hunger Games trilogy, again, which I haven't read, because it's not my kind of thing. And I, I freely hold my hand up and say, this is not really my kind of, of thing. However, the best movies don't have to be your kind of thing, do they? You know, they can take something that you're not normally interested in and you can you can be surprised and you can be engaged and all these things. And I very rarely was with Divergent. You know, the story is essentially a very Hunger Games kind of scenario. Dystopian world, post-apocalyptic, set in Chicago, and the city's gone to crap after an unspecified war a century ago. And... It's, they've got this big fence erected around Chicago and all the buildings are crumbling down. And in order to prevent, you know, human nature, as Kate Winslet's character calls it, from uh, leading us to destroy ourselves again, they've split society, the society that's left anyway, which is basically just Chicago as far as we can tell. They've split it into four factions, which is a faction who are honest, there's a faction who are brave, there's a faction who are kind, there's a faction who are benevolent, and then there's the factionless, as in people who don't fit anywhere. So they've basically become the homeless and the hobos and the people wandering the streets. And the whole idea is basically this concept of control, of repression, of people being unable to be, you know, any kind of individual. They have to fit into a certain box. And that, yeah, I mean, that's that's very much an idea that would track with the with the audience that this film's going for. And, and you know, this is very much being targeted at a teenage audience. You know, there's no question about that. Like the Hunger Games was. Uh, this is this is for a teenage audience. This is for this will appeal to teenagers who have you know crises about identity and alienation and peer pressure and all this kind of stuff. Which they all do. I and mean, I work with teenagers on a, re- on a daily basis, and they go through all of this all the time. So those kind of guys, people under twenty. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. A lot from Divergent, I'm sure. Sadly, I am quite a way over 20 now. And I'm at the point where I'm looking at this from a very different prism and thinking, this is just really dull. And that, and that, that really is. That really was the prevailing thought I had through most of Divergent, which I have to say is far too long. Far, far too long. It goes on for two hours and about 20 minutes. It, it, and it's just, it's just really plodding. It takes forever. Because the, the whole idea is that the story revolves around this character called Triss Pryor, who is definitely not Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games. Let's make that clear right now. She's definitely not Jennifer Lawrence. Even though she looks like Jennifer Lawrence, the character is very similar to Katniss, and she's basically thrust into a post-apocalyptic scenario, very similar. It's not, okay? But it is. So... She's she's in the middle of this and she she's having she doesn't know what to choose and she is believing that she was brought up with the um the the benevolent people who are in control of, of the government and but she doesn't believe she is one. She believes she's the dauntless, which are the brave soldiers protecting the city and that she's got more about her. Turns out, of course, she is divergent, as the the title suggests. And that's not giving anything away, really. It's all there in the title. That she she basically ticks all the boxes as opposed to just one, and she goes and ta- takes this test, which is supposed to tell her where she fits. You know, where am I? Who am I? Which is the prevailing question of the whole thing. Who am I? Turns out she's all of these things, and they basically want to shut down anybody who is more than one thing. But to get to the actual point where we get a plot kick in, it takes forever, ever to get to that point. Because the whole, literally the whole first probably 70, 80 minutes of this film is Triss being thrown into the training when she gets into Dauntless and being thrown into the training of, of this whole new uh, faction and these group of people. And I, I would say for the first 40 minutes or so, I, I, was, I was fairly engaged. You know, I, I wasn't thrilled, but I was fairly engaged because the world itself, the idea behind Veronica Roth's books is actually quite good. I'm not sure it's it's very realistic, and I'm I'm not really sure that society would work this way after a war. But it's it's in, it's definitely interesting. It's an interesting way of exploring the, the human spirit and exploring the different ways of humanity. And you know, it, tra- it tracks with the idea, the idea of control and of, of of people being very much having the individuality stripped away from them. And that, so it's all very good. It's a, it's a good it's a good solid idea for a story. But. But it just doesn't translate very well onto film, which is surprising. I mean, p- partly because the director, Neil Berger, really doesn't give this any kind of aesthetic flavour whatsoever, you know. And he hasn't done that many films, but he did do The Illusionist, which, which is actually really quite a good film. And it had, it had a really quite a nice look to it, a good feel. And it's surprising, really, that he hasn't translated, you know, some kind of directorial skill into Divergent, because this is so bland and so... So, drags so much in terms of it. There's, no, there's nothing very visual in order to captivate when the plot and the story are just taking forever and the characterizations are just bland as they come. And it's a shame because the, 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 girl, the girl playing Triss, Shailene Woodley, is, a, is actually a fairly decent actress and she's a rising star, but she's got nothing to work with. She, she really doesn't. Her character is so boring. And unfortunately, she's wooden. She is wooden throughout this. There's no two ways about it. She's also settled with 
a really, really unconvincing romance with the male lead, a character called Thor, played by a guy called Theo James. And I was all through this film, I was thinking, I've seen you before, I've seen you before, where have I seen you before? And it, it didn't twig until I got home that he was the, the douchebag holiday rep in the Inbetweeners movie. And I realise now who he is. So he's British, and he's, but he's plain American. And, you know, I suppose he's, he's an all right enough actor, but he's, he, he's, he's, he fits the kind of bland role, douchebag role very well, even though the character of Ford isn't actually a douchebag at all. He's actually quite a brave guy. But he's very boring. He's very dull. He's one of those classic sort of hot guy male leads who's just so charismatically a vacuum it's it's untrue he's not got any sense of humor yeah obviously there'll be a million girls fall in love with him like they did for edward cullen you know and all these people because this is a very post-twilight film and it's just so oh you're just sitting there thinking you're just dull i'm sorry but shailene you look lovely but you're dull and Everyone around them is, is equally, you know, boring. You've got Miles Teller, who's going to go on to be the new uh, Mr. Fantastic in the Fantastic Four, playing the douchebag. And he's, he's, quite, he's quite good, actually, at being an absolute, absolute wanker um, all the way through this. Similar for Jay Courtney, who was previously in A Good Day to Die Hard and Jack Reacher, playing... He's not, he's not exactly a villain, but he's more of an internal antagonist. He's just a prick, basically, you know. Um, it's, it, it, the cast is naturally... He's an actually too bad there's, there's, a, there's a fair few people who crop up who you've seen from other kinds of things although they have nothing to do I mean Ray Stevenson gets about three lines throughout the whole thing in a completely pointless part and you know he's not the greatest actor in the world but he deserves better than that and Maggie Q Maggie Q gets like two or three scenes she doesn't even get to kick ass I mean that, that, that's just that's just a, shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed frankly Maggie Q not being able to kick ass and she you think what's the point of her here and equally Kate Winslet you know, I mean, she's she's the other she's the other big star in this. She gets she gets about probably 15, 20 minutes screen time tops throughout the whole thing. So don't go into this thinking that you're going to get a Kate Winslet film because you're really not. She's hardly in the bloody thing. And even when she is in it, she's all right. Even though I, I always prefer Kate Winslet when she's not playing American and she's playing American in this. And the role she's playing is just one of those really sort of very traditional corporate kind of you know, villain people. It's, it's no secret to give away the fact that she's a villain because she is, because the whole thing in this, you will guess from the very beginning, everything is predictable. Everything. You'll know exactly where the story... If you've seen films like this before, if you've seen any kind of films like this, you'll know what's going to happen. You'll know what happens between Triss and Four. You'll know pretty much what the ultimate narrative reveal is going to be in terms of what's actually going on. You'll know the general arc that Triss goes through with, with the endless kind of training scenes and, you know, all, all this. You, you'll, you'll just know. You will know, especially if you've seen The Hunger Games, you know, because it, it does fill that kind of, tries to fill that kind of void. And it's, it's just not got much of anything. The only thing that really keeps it afloat is the fact that it does have good ideas behind it. It does have good ideas and it does have a fairly decent cast doing what they can with very, very little. But... Everything else is just an abject waste of money, frankly. And it, it just doesn't have anything that will appeal to anybody who, like I say, is over the age of 20 and who hasn't seen films like this before of, of, of teen angst mixed with science fiction dystopia. And it, it's, you know, it could have been good. It could have been better. That's the point. That's the sad thing. It, it actually could have been. It may not have been my kind of thing. It may have been fairly bland altogether. 
in many ways, but it has a mythology and a world behind it that's actually fairly decent, but it does not know how to translate it to a movie, I'm afraid. And as a result, I sat there thinking while I was watching this, why haven't why didn't this finish twenty minutes ago? Exactly why, towards the end. I was thinking, what what why why must I watching this? And you may get there before twenty the end of twenty minutes towards the end. I, I was I was just I could quite happily have slept through fairly decent chunks of it and not missed a step. So just don't bother. If you want to survive, follow me. Divergence threaten the system. It won't be safe until they're removed. We have to fight back. Ready. For our final film this week, it's time to look at a genuine curio. This is Richard Ayoade's The Double. Have you spoken to the new employee? James. Yeah, sure, a minute. But did you notice anything strange about him? I mean, did he remind you of anyone? Who did you have in mind? What'll it be? I'll just have a Coke. A Coke. And you? Scrambled eggs. And let's serve breakfast in the evening. Oh, do you still have eggs here? Yeah. And do you have a frying pan? Yeah. Then give me the damn food. Simon, how come you don't have a girlfriend? I don't know. There's someone I've been thinking about. I have all these things that I want to say to her. I know what it feels like to be lost and lonely and invisible. You have to go after what you want. You really think she's looking at me? Yeah, yeah. All right, now lick your lips. Yeah. What? Show the tongue, but be careful not to look like a lizard. Go. I attract so many weirdos. I'd seen the double trailered quite a lot in the run-up to its release, and it was something that I really liked the visual look of straight away as soon as I saw it. Ayoade is obviously best known as a comic actor, uh, perhaps more than a filmmaker. He uh, He's famously known as Moss from the IT crowd, which is obviously, the IT crowd is a very um, popular British sitcom that's quite mainstream actually, even though it deals with slightly geeky subject matter and people. It, it did very well, the IT crowd, and it is. It's not my favourite comedy, but it is really quite funny. And Ayoade really doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would be a genuine directorial auteur in the making, but he really is. And The Double is his second major film after Submarine, which I confess I haven't yet seen. But on the the strength of The Double, I really do want to see his first work because he's genuinely coming at this with a very unique viewpoint and a very unique kind of visual aesthetic, even though it has been pointed out that he wears quite a few references on his sleeve, which is something I'll get into later. But the double is a really, really curious thing to adapt. It's actually an adaptation of a Dostoevsky book from 1846, uh, which is going back hell of a long time to Russian literature. And Dostoevsky is one of those people who most educated people have heard of, but I would bet you plenty of them have never read a, a thing he's, he's ever done. So the double isn't going to be a, a well-known story, the, but it's essentially quite a simple concept. It's about an office worker, an office clerk, who is completely ignored by everybody. People, the people he's worked with for seven years don't even realise he works in the office building he's in. And he just he's a non-entity just going through life with a daily routine that is very bland and very systematic. And he then suddenly, out of the blue, meets this complete doppelganger of himself who is everything that he's not and everything he wants to be. He's charismatic, he's funny, he's charming, he's good at his job, 
He's, you know, he's wowing everyone around him. Women fall for him all the time. His boss loves him. Everything that the main character, Simon, wants to be. He's, they've even got reverse names. The, the main character, the character we follow, Simon James, the double is called James Simon. So it's, it's a complete flip, a complete inversion of himself. And it becomes about this guy at first learning certain things from the double until he begins to realise that the double is actually starting to take over his entire life. But it, it's, it's ultimately not quite that simple, even though AOAD is never really interested in the, the actual concrete how is this happening, as opposed to the why is this happening and what is it really saying. And the double is one of those films that's got a lot going on underneath the surface in terms of identity and in terms of questioning your place in the world and who you are and what you want to be, the person you want to be versus the person you are. And it's got a lot that it's tapping into, which is really, really quite interesting. But the primary thing about it, more than anything else, and I'll get to some of the performances in a bit because they are very good, it's the visual aesthetic that strikes you with the double straight away. Now, it's been pointed out since that AOAD is very much taking a cue from Brazil by Terry Gilliam. And, I, and you can see that in this. But there is a definite sense that he's, he's kind of like... AOID on this evidence, he's a bit like a fusion of two distinct filmmakers. He's a little bit Terry Gilliam, but he's also quite a bit Wes Anderson. Now, I'm, I'm a recent convert to Wes Anderson, not liking some of his earlier films. His latest two have been outstanding for me. So I'm a converted Wes Anderson fan. So the fact that AOID is clearly taking a cue from him in many respects is, is a good thing. But he's doing it from a different perspective in that, you know, Wes Anderson has all these very quirky, lighthearted, you know, bizarre off-the-wall characters in a very light setting quite often, a very sugary, cakey setting. But then he's got this really dark undercurrent layer underneath everything, this real bitterness in most of his things, except perhaps Moonrise Kingdom, which is a lot softer. But AOAD kind of flips that the other way. He's got the same kind of quirks, but... His darkness is far more visual than Anderson's is. And perhaps the, the, the more hum, human lightness is underneath. The double is, is brilliantly sort of evocative of almost like a dystopian near future or kind of past of like the 50, 50 60 years ago. It's, it's a weird blend of like Soviet architecture and it's almost like a Soviet art deco <laughs> in a way because it's got this, everything in it is shot with this really gloomy, dark, depressing hue. It's all greys and yellows in the, uh, in, in the lighting. Everything, is, is, everything that is used, all the architecture, is, is blocky and grey. It looks very much like... Well, I went to Poland recently, and a lot of the rebuilt old town of, of Krakow, which was bombed during the war, was rebuilt by the Soviets when, this, uh, when they came in. And it's all depressed, depressing and blocky and grey. And it reminded me a little bit of that, actually. So he's got that down pat. And that fits, you know, there's a lot of links there with Dostoevsky, because obviously Dostoevsky's a Russian author and he goes back to a Russian text. So there's a lot of that Soviet influence in there. And it could be set in Russia, even though all the characters are, are, are American. But the placement of this, most of the characters are American. The placement of this film is very unspecific. It could be, it could be anywhere at any time. And that is why you get quite lost in the whole thing. And it does have that, you know, old-fashioned old kind of, strange production um, sense in terms of the, 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 the props and everything. And, and, you know, everything that is in the building, in the factory that most of this takes place in, is old. It's rusting. It's, 
it's just all the technology is 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 old fashioned. Yeah, it's got this weird kind of. It could be set in the near future. It's weird. It, it's 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 got this very sort of strange visual aesthetic, but it's really striking. It really does draw you into this world, and it reflects the character because the character of, of Simon is is a very depressive, and he feels like he's in the middle of of this of this complete world that doesn't see him, and he feels very lost. And he describes himself at one point as a as a Pinocchio, you know, a boy held, being held up, you know, with no with string, and it's. It's got that, the, the visual side that AOAD puts across very much reflects that element of his character. And, and it makes us, gets us a little bit lost as well, because if we don't fully know specifically where we are, we feel a little bit as lost as Simon, and it's very good. So that strikes me, that struck me more than everything else, because it, it takes AOAD a little bit of time to find his sea legs. You know, the first, the first 20 minutes or so, he's quite, he's quite slow and, and a little bit too... It takes its time to really find its confidence, I think, in, in, in the direction and in the script. And it's really when two things happen. The first being that Mia Wasikowska's love interest is introduced, and she's quite willowy and, and quiet and a bit off-key off, off herself, because she's like almost like a female version of Simon, to an extent, who's looking for more in her life, and he's looking to be noticed, and he's looking for the man to sweep her off her feet and things like that which he wants to be, but he has no ability to, you know, verbalise this. And that's an interesting little relationship, especially given how things get mixed up later on when the double turns up. And it's when the double turns up that Jesse Eisenberg, who plays Simon, really, really gets to, to show how great he is. Because he is, he is an excellent leading screen presence here. You know, obviously he's, he's well known for playing Mark Zuckerberg in um, The Social Network. And he's, he's, next year he's gonna, his name's going to be Lights because he, he's playing Lex Luthor in Batman vs Superman or whatever it ends up being called. So, however good or not that film will be, I, I expect Eisenberg will be very, will be very, very good Lex Luthor. It's very off-key casting, but he's a really good actor, basically, and he, he plays this this duality really well. And he's got he's got that down pat. You know, he, he goes from being this really quiet, nerdy, you know, nervy guy who doesn't say much, and he's uh, 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 with everything he says. And then James is really swaggering and charismatic, and you know, charming the ladies and telling what to do, and he speaks at a volume fast paced, and he doesn't keep. And it's really, it's really good to manage, that he manages to do both of these performances in one. Yet, yet at the same time, keep it the same character. And as the film goes on, and they get there's more interaction, and then the plot really starts to kick in. It gets funnier. It, the, the film does get more confident. It gets funnier. The script gets more witty. It just feels more like it's punching a bit more, and it's it's got more to it, and it builds. It builds the frustration in, in Simon really well, actually. It really does. You feel how how trapped he is, how and uh, you know cornered he is by everything. And it, it re- it's a great example of putting throwing everything you've got at a protagonist. Every kind of b- bad luck befalls this guy, you know, even even down to simple things. And it's just it's also a reflection of um, Aoyad is also reflecting like the the maybe this is another communist Soviet idea as well, but it's regulation and form filling and very officious uh, kind of world and he, he's that's a lot of what the double's about you know there's a lot of, of stuff about there's a lot of feeling of paranoia and this this is where it goes back to brazil and to terry gilliam and all this kind of stuff because there is this feeling that I and mean, there's one scene where chris morris pops up and there's lots of little cameos from people uh, in this but chris morris pops up at one point as a, as a like a, a, a worker um from the government and at one point when simon he can't get into his building because his past doesn't work and Chris Morris turns around and says well you're not in the system 
And he says, well, how do I get in the system? And he says, well, you need a card. And he says, well, how do I get, can I get a card? He goes, no, because you're not in the system. <laughs> so he goes, it goes it's, it's this circular kind of logic, which is brilliant. And it just really pushes Simon out of the way. Um, and that's, that's a re- that, you really feel the sense of that throughout this. And speaking of the, of the cameos, there's some really, really nice cameos in this. You've got, you've got Chris Morris, who obviously is just a, a, a name everyone should know. And he's just a legendary comic figure in Britain, but without people realising and of course, he's been in the IT crowd. Chris O'Dowd crops up at one point as really angry doctor for, for a cameo. Again, um, AOID's partner in the IT crowd. Tim Key, who was um, psychic Simon in Alan Partridge, and he's done various other things. He's a rising star, Tim Key, and he's very funny. He's this really sort of quiet, really odd, laid-back guy. Um, and he's, he's great. And, uh, you know, I, I, was even, I was even surprised, pleasantly surprised, to see, see a couple of people who, who most people won't even know. I mean, you've got Wallace Shawn, for a start, who's... Um, Known for, for um, voicing, oh, I can't remember the name of the character, but he's known for voicing someone in Toy Story, and I can't remember who it is. Um, but I know him mainly as Grand Nagus Zek from uh, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He's great in that, and he's a really funny character, funny old actor, character actor you don't see very often. And there's even, there's even a small appearance by an actress called Susan Blomar, who was actually in one of my favourite X-Files episodes, an episode called uh, Die Hand, Die Valetzt, where she plays a, a, a supply teacher who turns out to be the devil. And she's a really, really bizarre piece of casting, but it's only a small role. But I, I literally went, oh, awesome. You know, I was, I was really surprised to see her in it because she's actually quite a good actress, even though nobody obviously knows who she is, except me. <laughs> so I was like, ah, oh, excellent. So it's got, the double's got lots of these little things cropping up. And, you know, it was, it was a strange experience because it's very off-key, it's very oddball, it's, it's, it's not a mainstream film at all, but it's got a real kind of, biting little sense of wit and, and, a, and a sweetness as well to it strangely enough this and that's what i mean about aoid pitching it differently from anderson because you anderson's characters almost feel quite remote and these guys do as well simon does in a way but you also feel for him as well it, it, it's a strange juxtaposition and I, I admit i was more i was more struck by the the visual side of the double than i was anything else but i think it's the kind of film that it will it will be worth watching again to pick up certain extra things and to really get even more into the characters but it you know as a as a further calling card for AOID because I'm told Submarine's very good and I'm going to go and look that up too as a further calling card for him it's, it's a it's a really striking film and it's 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 very well done and it deserves to really propel him further because he is he is a, a modern auteur potentially and he's somebody who could go on to really really great things so the Double is, is a damn good little film, and I recommend you check it out before it disappears from cinemas. This guy just started. Why can't you work like that? This man is a fraud. Stop following me. He stole my face. This is not me. This is not me, sir! Look at me! Look at me! That's it. That's it. And that really is it, I'm afraid to say. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Black Hole Cinema. Hopefully you've enjoyed the three reviews that have been on the table today. Like I say, I recommend going and seeing The Double. That's definitely the best film I've reviewed this week. And I would give a long way down a chance if it's still in the cinema, but definitely avoid Divergent because it's got the most ironic title 
for a film you'll ever come across. For a film that is all about difference, Divergent is the most bland film ever. So again, thank you for listening. If you are, we had uh, quite a record number of downloads for last week's uh, episode, which Adam Scott has tried to claim as his own. <laughs> Uh, for his talk about usual suspects, which may be true. Um, I don't begrudge it, but uh, either way, thank you for uh, listening and downloading or, or tuning in and whatever parts you listen to on the podcast. It's great. Please feedback. Feel free to talk to me on Twitter at Tony underscore O underscore Black for you know any improvements or any comments you want to make, anything at all. I'm happy to chat about the podcast. So I'll be back next week. There are some more good films coming out that I intend to review. I should think that uh, the guest spot will be back next week. We've got uh, plenty more of those to come. And so it should be a good week. It should be a good week for movies. So whatever, wherever you are, whatever you're watching, enjoy and I'll see you next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.